Welcome to the Message Podcast from Campaign, the Bible of the global advertising industry. I'm Emma Johnston-Wheeler, and I'm joined by... I'm Chris Powell. And I'm David Brown. In today's episode, we're going to run through the news headlines that stood out for us this past week, delve deep into the ICA's new mission to grow the Canadian industry, and introduce the first ever Campaign Cup. Let's start with one of the bigger headlines from the past week. WPP confirmed the arrival of VML. This is a fate we've been wondering about since the fall. So uh, one of you can tell me what this means for taxi. Yeah, I'll do. I'll take that one first. This was, yeah, as you said, I mean, we'd been, we kind of knew it was coming since the fall. The question that everyone had was, what does it mean for a taxi? So this was the, the merger of Wonderman Thompson and VML Y&R. VML YNR didn't operate in Canada. It was only taxi. So we wondered if taxi was going to disappear. And of course, taxi is an iconic brand in Canada, beloved brand and for a lot of people who went there at some point. Uh, and the long and short of it is it's not going to disappear, but it's being scaled back. We're going to keep taxi in Montreal, but it's disappearing from Toronto, which the risk of offending the Montreal folks, Toronto was kind of the main office for taxi for about 20 years. Um, and they're also going to keep it in New York. Uh, well, I mean, I guess the thing is, these kind of announcements always feel like they're a bit of a, a, a precursor. And it feels like, I, I mean, this is purely speculation on my part, but it, it kind of feels like the name could go is, away. It could go away. That was, yeah. I think that was kind of the reaction around the industry. Yeah. You saw people. Yeah. But now, so I, my take is New York for sure seems more precarious. New York could disappear soon. Not soon, but in the short mid to short to midterm. Taxi Montreal, I kind of do believe them. They they say that it's kind of the it is the as much as I said, Toronto has been the the main office. Montreal was where is the birthplace. Yeah, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of warm feelings in Quebec for a taxi. So they may keep it going there. I hope they do. Well, it's just, but we've seen in the past year or so. There's you know we we thought invaluable uh, legacy brands would be around forever, and uh, we saw them disappear. So yeah, story to story to keep an eye on for sure. It's but I mean they kept. You know, Adam and Eve DDB kept going for a long, you know, so they sometimes they keep the legacy brands. Great. Next, there was a pretty interesting and unique cannabis advertising campaign from Stokes. Chris, did you want to explain this one a little bit? Uh, Yeah, well, so prefacing this by saying that cannabis advertising in Canada has been an interesting area. I think this was predicted to be a a bit of a gold rush. I think it was a kind of expectation when it was legalized in 2018, but it hasn't quite worked out that way. And one of the primary reasons is, be, is because the restrictions around uh, cannabis advertising are very, very Not tight. cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> not, they're not cool at all, dude. So uh, yeah, it's really hard to create brands because of just how restrictive the advertising uh, rules are. So Angry Butterfly tried to do sort of a, a bit of a quote unquote end around here by um, advertising businesses that were neighboring stoked cannabis locations. The idea being uh, that they would sort of be able to get around some of these restrictions. And David wrote the story, so he can probably actually probably do a better job of explaining exactly, yeah, it's a fun, exactly how it works. Yeah, it was a fun one because the it's a bit of a, if you know, you know, if you get it, you get it kind of campaign. Like if you're into cannabis, the whole point of it was they gave these, these ads for these, it was like a, a nail salon for example, and they, you know, the whole pitch for the nail salon was all kinds of cannabis double entendres and, and puns. So you could kind of tell, you thought they're talking about cannabis weed, but it's for a nail salon. And then you zoom out and it's right next door to stoked cannabis. It's just a fun way to get the stoked brand out there. And I think it would make a lot of people laugh. 
because it is tricky. You can, there's so little you can do, and then so it's not just the government laws too. It's also the platforms like Google and and Meta won't let you do any cannabis advertising at all. Yeah. So it's a way to find a loophole in their laws. So there's something you can explain to me here. The age gating thing isn't something that I was familiar with. So these are geo-targeted ads for people that are 21 plus, right? Yeah. How exactly does that work? It's the same way that you age gate any of the beer brands. You just have to confirm your your age. Yeah. Right. When it pops up yeah. on a website. So it's those you. kinds of things. So then they have they have lists of, of – I'm assuming this is – I don't know this, but I mean that's one way that age gating is done. And then they probably had lists of users or their own mailing list. They were sending it out to those kinds of things. And then even on YouTube, pre-rolls – I can't remember how it works on pre-roll. Like on YouTube – as in terms of age gating. Yeah, yeah, I forget how that works. But there is age gating there too. Well, I think there has to be, right? For that yeah. for those kind of products. So yeah. it's just that it's as simple as that. There's no real it's not like showing ID or anything, you're just confirming your Yeah. I'm not sure if it and if it's the same, like I know you know, beer some beer brands you have to enter your birth date. Some beer brands you just have to say Yes, I'm nineteen. Yeah. So I, and I don't know if it's the same for cannabis or whether you do actually have to enter I think it's up to, I don't I don't think it's I think it's what they want to do. Yeah. Right. It sounds like quite a bit to navigate and my understanding is that they didn't know from the beginning whether this would be pulled and yeah. they still don't know if this campaign has much of a future. Though they said officially they hadn't broken any laws or rules, they acknowledge that, but they're going to kind of wait and see at this yeah. point, right? I think the issue, I think they're fine legally. I think their biggest concern was around Meta and Facebook. Yeah. Right, just that the, they won't yeah. Stay up. Yeah. The the whole idea. That's why they didn't even because uh, this happened actually. I think in in January, if I'm not mistaken, it was sort of late in January, and they kind of didn't publicize it until it was done until, until it had finished, just because they didn't want to run the risk of getting of the ads getting pulled down. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll just say really quickly, the cannabis industry is very oversaturated here, but there's a couple of like large players that kind of hold most of the business and then a lot of the bigger companies are actually American as well so it is really cool to see a small Canadian brand find a creative loophole to like really it was a fun one it's a great it's another it's another fun one from Angry Butterfly which is it reminded me a bit of the Bill to Bezos kind of kind of cheeky attitude it's, it's just finding creative ways to promote products that, that are, are a bit sort of out of left field so yeah absolutely great yeah. okay and then finally a global news story that had roots in Canada and hits pretty close to home for us. Chris, I'll let you talk about this because I know you have some history there. I do. Yeah. So th this is uh, the decision uh, or the announcement last week that Vice Media was uh, was being closed down. I've been covering this industry long enough to remember a time when I would actually talk with Shane Smith on a, on a somewhat regular basis about things that they were doing. They were still a scrappy up-and-coming brand. They were not the global media behemoth they would ultimately become. Punk print magazine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they were, you know, I mean, I remember them. They, they you know, they were, they were known for their do's and don'ts, their, their satirical fashion photography. I don't know that I ever would have predicted the brand that they would ultimately become, but they, you know, for a while there, they were, they were a world beater. They were, they were doing edgy, really edgy, irreverent journalism. They, you know, they always had a bit of a reputation uh, for being, a, they were a bit misogynistic. They were, they were certainly politically incorrect, but they sort of just sort of found a way to sort of navigate that line. And, you know, again, covering this industry as long as I have, it's always shame to see media outlets disappear. I mean, this is, I don't understand, you know, I don't know where young up and coming journalists are supposed to get training, where they're supposed to go with their careers. It's just very, it's very sad. And 10 or 15 years ago, like at Marketing Magazine, it was a big deal in terms of them. They were the brand, the media brand that figured out millennials when yeah. they were still figuring yeah. out millennials, never mind Gen Z. 
they were doing a lot of really interesting things for a long time. Um, there was a lot of interest from brands. That was when they started to clean up the content. They became they became a bit more corporatized. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is as as soon as the big advertising dollars and the big advertising clients come into it, you can't retain that kind of edginess no, when, when big up. brands are involved for sure. Well, and like Vice Media Group, generally speaking, mm-hmm. is responsible for so many brands. Some of my favorite ones actually, Refinery Twenty Nine, which is a Canadian women's fashion yeah. publication, yeah. and they've said that though it will continue to operate for now executives are in advanced conversations about selling the business and then id the uk fashion publication which just fashion culture like some of the most profound interviews of the last decade i would say but it got saved because supermodel investor slash entrepreneur carly Kloss purchased it in the fall which says something interesting about the future of these publications and private equity, which is something that Mm. we've had conversations about personally. Yeah, Yeah, the involvement of private equity. And it's interesting, you know, I mean, for the long time, it was sort of the thinking was that digital media was unassailable, right? Like we all know what's happened to traditional media. And it kind of felt like there was a mindset that this would never happen to digital media. We know we understand our audience is better. We are optimized for this new digital era. But yeah, private equity. It's tricky when private equity comes in. I mean, were you so you you knew ID and refinery? Did you have any connection to Vice? Were you a fan? Did you read Vice? A little bit. I mean, yeah, and I remember some of my favorite series, like video series as yeah, well. Yeah, they like did a great video folding. for yeah, and they had to deal with HBO for a while. They were yeah, it was, it was, it was huge. I, I, for I a while. mean, a deal with Rogers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know yeah. it's too bad. Yeah, it is. Well, our condolences truly to the journalists that lost their jobs. I had read about people frantically saving their work day of when they thought that the website was going to close. Mm. And Ugh. I can't imagine the anxiety of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you need the pieces for your portfolio, right? <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> So we want to spend some time really delving into the ICA's ambitious new growth plan. This was a story we broke on the launch day for campaign in Canada. Chris, I keep throwing them over to you, but you did spend a lot of time on this one. So I, I did, yeah. And this, uh, to me, this feels like a, like kind of a, a big deal and potentially transformative story for the Canadian marketing and advertising industry. So uh, the Institute of Canadian Agencies has unveiled, I mean, you know, manifesto always feels like a bit of a weird word, but it, it, for all intents and purposes, it's a manifesto aimed at growing the Canadian agency sector and, and the Canadian marketing industry. It's sort of multi-pronged, but there are a few key ones here. They want to get Canadian agencies on the pitch list for more global assignments. They want to increase revenue to Canadian agencies from global brands. They want to crack into the top three at the Can Lions. Last year, they were fifth. So cracking the top three would involve uh, overtaking France, the UK, and Brazil. And the other ambition is to see Toronto supplant New York as the top-ranked city in the North American FE Index. It's a multi-pronged plan. Uh, ICA President and CEO Scott Knox uh, sort of filled me in on a lot of the details. It's, it's built around incentives for brands to create more Made in Canada uh, advertising, making them less reliant on, on adapt from U.S., like I said, he has a plan. He's traveling to the UK and the US uh, in in the weeks ahead. He wants to talk with pitch consultants, and he, he his plan is to ask them, "What do you think of Canadian agencies? What will it take for Canadian agencies to get invited to more global pitches?" They've actually hired just last week. They hired a lobbying firm to sort of out for outreach to government called Loyalist Public Affairs whose sort of two principals, Chris Froggen and Dan Mader, were both senior level executives with national public relations. So and they've got and, and also extensive government experience. So yeah, it's an ambitious 
undertaking, but as Scott said to me, it's ambitious, but why the hell not? Why do we all get out of bed in the morning to just do the same thing every day? Let's be ambitious. So I love that guy's moxie. He, it's awesome. Yes, Scott has lots of moxie. He absolutely does. Um, I think what makes this different, there's a couple things. First is the specific goal of getting on more international pitches is a very big deal. Yeah. How he does that, that's, that's the legwork. But the other big one is the specific idea around, they have an idea about trying to get tax credits to produce more Canadian advertising, to produce more work in Canada. And there's a, there's already an analogy with the tech industry in Canada. It's been a successful program for years. This is Brett Channers from Mass Minority. This is his baby, his idea. He took it to the ICA and they've benefited from this these tax cuts for years and they want to take it to advertising. And in short, what it means is you're going to get tax credits for the more advertising you create in Canada. Yeah. It's a good incentive. So that's a really big deal. And we should also note here that uh, the ICA recently named uh, Bev Hammond uh, from Broken Heart Love Affair as its as its chair. In addition to Broken Heart Love Affair, before uh, sort of her role in the agency world, she she spent a lot of time working in in government. So the point uh, here is they're going to government to try and figure out how to grow the industry in yeah. Canada. Their, and their their argument is that this is it's a viable part of the uh, Canadian economy. Do you think it's actually likely that they'll secure the tax credit? I think because they're saying you've done it for this industry, why can't you do it for our industry yeah. is, a, is a good argument to make. Whether it happens, I don't know. It's coin toss. Hard to foresee. But what I would say, I mean, it's an industry that's built around communication. I think, you know, as Scott said to me, the goal here is we've got to create a narrative. We've got to show the government why this industry should be on the radar of government. So I think if you could, if you can do that well, and I would expect that they could, just given their acumen and expertise in communications, I feel it could uh, could absolutely work. And if it's not that specifically, maybe there's something else. I think that's the point. There, there, there. It's for me the difference is there just it feels less than a vision and more like a plan. And you'll see maybe the plan will change, but they actually have a plan as yeah. opposed to just empty. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, one thing I was talking with Scott just last week, and I asked him about sort of, you know, again, I always keep saying I've been covering this industry a long time, but, but I have, and I, you know, I covered several sort of ambitious undertakings that started that came out of the gate. There was so much resolution and resolve to get these these problems fixed, and they kind of, you know, they kind of petered out a bit of atrophy. Things things just, you know, things stall out. It happens, but. And so I asked Scott specifically about that. Like, what do you do to ensure you keep that momentum? Because it's important, right? I mean, he didn't lay out specific what the specific plans are, but I, I could tell just from speaking with him that the plan is that this will be something that's very front front and center. And I don't I don't think it's going to go away. Right. And there are literally metrics, which so yeah. me comparatively having not been in the industry for a very long time at all. I didn't know that these industries in general were so predicated on award shows. Obviously, Cannes is the most significant one. So when he literally uses the metric that we have to add 35 to 36 lions yeah. in order to surpass these other international competitors, We've talked about how being awards-minded can actually be a detriment to the work. So is that a good way to measure this? So to me, I do feel like that's more of a vanity metric. That's the click-through rates as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I think it's more – it's the specific things about if he can, if they can get some sort of tangible incentive to do produce more advertising is a big deal and get more international pitches here. That's how you really grow the industry. Can lines is important, but it's – not as important as those other things. It's not, but the, the corollary of, of the Can Lion is that clients look at agencies that win Can Lions, and, and international clients will look at agencies that win Can Lions. So it's no coincidence that Rethink Win is on every pitch list right now and winning. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because they've done well and can. Yeah. Yeah. So you're absolutely right, Emma. It's total it's a vanity metric, but industry watchers pay attention yeah. <laughs> to to the award show tallies. No question. Yeah. I mean, even he acknowledges that it's not entirely the point when you've quoted him. And bringing it back to our Made in Canada package, he yeah. said Canadians need to shed their inferiority complex. Literally, we need to stop resting on our laurels and just being happy with doing adapt in the Canadian marketplace. That's not what we're good at, he says. We should be leading the account because we're capable of delivering at the top. Yeah. Yeah. And that was interesting how much of a, a very recurring sentiment that was in, during uh, writing the whole Made in Canada package. Cool. It's okay. amazing how much it overlaps, actually. And that yeah. was pure coincidence. It's just we'd been working on that for months when we found out that ICA was doing this and, yeah. and the, the themes are identical. Finally, I think we should talk about this thing that we're doing this week. We're introducing something brand new for campaign. And we think for Canada, we're calling this the Campaign Cup. Yeah, it's a bit of fun, fun way to sort of remind ourselves and celebrate some of the amazing advertising Canada has produced in the past 24 years, since the year 2000. We've uh, come up with a list of 32 of what we think is the best ads of that period and we're going to put them head to head in a tournament style user vote tournament so we're going to have 16 matchups in the first round we'll pick uh, 16 winners for the next round and we'll go on from there until we get a winner and it's a great way at, to re- be reminded of some of the great some really great standout creative that we've that we've produced over the past we had fun quarter century. we had fun yeah it's it's so good it's so good and i think there'll be some work there that you know, uh, uh, people tend to pay attention to this industry, but I think there might be there's probably going to be some stuff there that people may have forgotten about, or just just a reminder of how good some of it truly was. Yeah, it's cool that it's familiar for you guys that you get to have that kind of nostalgia with it. I think uh, I'm just going to go home and binge them all tonight. So uh, I'll let you know what my fresh perspectives are when we reveal them. Awesome. Yeah, so that starts. We're going to do a draw at the launch party. We'll start voting in March, and hopefully have it wrapped up by the end of March. Great. I think that's all that we have time for today. You can follow The Message Podcast everywhere that you get your favorite podcasts and keep up with us at the newly launched campaign site.